Zach Bauer is leaving tomorrow morning out of Louisville at 6 a.m. to fly to Salt Lake City. He's actually driving over there right after youth group is over tonight. He's going up to Louisville to spend a night with a friend. He's going to Salt Lake City. You know, if there was a city, um, North American Mission Board has picked out 32 different cities, what they call send cities, where they're planting churches in real, just real lost areas. And kind of our area we've adopted really more so the student ministry is Salt Lake City. We hope to one day, uh, hopefully very soon, to have an adult mission trip out there. He's planning on in early July bringing a group of about 15 folks, mostly teenagers and a few other adults, going out there to go work with the church outside Provo, Utah. And it's a church plant, a North American Mission Board church plant, very close to Brigham Young University, which is... Just a lost area there. It's a real challenging area to work at. And that's a partnership where our church is able to send mission teams and do missions in really one of the most unreached people groups right here in the USA. 2% are Bible-believing Christians. That's what evangelical Christians mean. So that is uh, exciting to see uh, about, about Salt Lake City with that. So we'll be praying for Zach. He comes back on Thursday, so that's when he returns. He has his two interns this coming Wednesday teaching the um, student ministry, the youth group, this coming Wednesday. Next Sunday night, we have business meeting. I want to tell you a couple of things. You may always want to come to business meeting. We're going to be voting our new um, service times. That's 9, 10, 11, 09. So you'll have an opportunity to vote on that. Secondly, you'll get to vote on licensing two people to the ministry. One here is Chris Wright, and the other is Raphael Jubin. Raphael's at work right now, but our deacons have already voted to license both these men and use a church to get the... Uh, Say, so what does licensing mean? These are when... Uh, it's kind of the first step uh, into becoming an ordained minister. That's when, once you get licensed, you're able to officiate weddings. So, Chris, you can now marry people. So, <laughs> so you can officiate weddings. So that will be your first day. And then when you become an ordained minister is when you become a reverend. So that would be the first step. I think I was licensed when I was, a co- when I was in um, college, or I was licensed when I was a college student at Sanford from my home church. And then uh, I was licensed by our church there. I went to uh, First Baptist Church in New Orleans. We were, we're not licensed. We were ordained at First Baptist New Orleans going into Georgia with that. So that would be the step, uh, the process that would be going on. Open your Bibles to the book of Luke. We are going through the book of Luke on Sunday nights, we're about to talk about the end times and the signs of this. This is going to be a passage you're going to get a blessing from. Make sure you pull out your bulletin insert so you can follow along. And you can certainly see, I tell you, folks can make a killing these days on predicting when Jesus is going to come back and the end times, and you can write lots of books on it. And people are fascinated with this subject. You'll always have an audience when you're talking about the signs of the second coming and what the end of times is certainly going to be about. But while you turn there... I want to um, uh, uh, read something. I think we have it. It's a quote here from a guy named Bill Dudley. Do we have this up here on the screen? We're gonna, I want to read this. Uh, all right. <coughs> it's it's kind of lengthy, but why don't you follow along before we get into this because I think this is an important statement. Who is Bill, Bill Dudley? Bill Dudley is the retired pastor um, from a church, and he now lives in Lebanon, Missouri. And he wrote this on, I'm in, these, I'm in all these preacher groups on Facebook, and he was writing this on there, and I thought, you know, this is really a good question he's asking. We want to be able to answer it today. I'm going to give you my possible answers to that. In cleaning out some files, 
Now, Bill's retired. He's probably in his 70s or so, maybe early 80s or so. The, he found a copy of The Soul Runner from 1960. So that was 59 years ago. And what that was, was it's a book. It is a report from pastors of the results of revivals with the evangelist Freddie Gage. Freddie Gage was a very well-known Southern Baptist evangelist, outstanding back in the 50s, 60s, and 70s. His son is now Rick Gage, who has been a blessing. I've gotten to know him, and um, he's just a, uh, he, he leads something called the Go Tell Crusades and goes around holding those. So, um, but Freddie Gage was his dad. And in this report, it says there were 35 revivals with 3,145 additions to the churches. All right, the next page. A pastor from Lamar Baptist in Wichita Falls, Texas, reported 131 additions. First Baptist, Pasadena, Texas, reported 134 additions. Forest Park Baptist in Joplin, Missouri, reported 112 additions with 101 by baptism. These are only a few of the reports with about the same, more, and some less additions. With most of the pastors saying they were having Freddie back for a future revival. All right, and then next slide here. And then this is the question here. So, so what happens, he basically is a retired minister, probably around upper 70s, 80 years old. And Bill's going cleaning out his office, and he finds this. He's like, wow, this is really old. So let's read about what it was like back in the good old days in the 60s. And he asks the question, what's happened the past 60 years? These results are not happening anymore. Why? Our pastors are better educated, and that's true. Our churches have nicer buildings, and that's certainly true, and larger budget, and that's absolutely true, but few souls are being saved. Bill Dudley asked that question. So let's answer that question, because I actually want to answer it myself in front of you. So I actually put some answers up here. Here are my possible three answers to why souls aren't being saved. Number one, fewer services. Churches, a lot of times, don't have revivals anymore. They don't have Sunday night church. They don't have Wednesday night church. So what happens is when you have fewer, so they don't have Sunday school anymore. When you have fewer services, what that means is the Word of God is being preached and taught less. It's just not there. The ministries have basically been cut back. When the Word of God, which is living and active, isn't being taught and preached, obviously... It's not being communicated like it used to. So that's certainly one uh, obvious answer. Number two, a me church mentality. This is what also is known as the I church. I can't stress this enough. Now I'm looking at a crowd right here, and <clears throat> probably a lot of the folks here don't have children who are teenagers. You're probably thinking, how do you get teenagers in your church? The answer to that is they want to be there with their friends. If a teenager wants to go to whatever church they want to go to in this city, their mommies and daddies will go to that church. I promise you that is the gospel truth. The kids pick where the families go. They literally, it's like a flock. They just follow along and go. And basically, the children decide where a family wants to go to church. And they say, this is where my friends are. This is the people I like. This is my group. Mom, Dad, I'm going there. 
And they do. That is a, whether right or wrong, well, it's wrong. Whether right or wrong, that's the fact of what's going on. It's called an I church or a me church mentality. People come to church not so much saying, what's the vision and mission? Is this a Bible-believing, gospel-preaching church? They come here thinking, are there good-looking girls in the youth group? Are, uh, are, my, friends, are, my, guy, are my friends here? Do, uh, do they have a lot that I, I enjoy? Is there something here that I personally, my interest, would certainly be attracted to? That is prevalent. I want you to understand, that's just not prevalent in church. That is everywhere today. It's all about the consumer. The consumer drives the, the whatever it is. The problem with that is that is completely opposite of what Christ taught. Christ didn't come to create a consumer or a me-driven church. Christ came to create a Christ-centered church where He is the head, He's the, he's the Lord of the church, and He casts that vision. It comes from Jesus. So this is rampant today. And it's the me church mentality. And it's one that is, um, it's, it's not going away. And I want to tell you why it's not going away. Because we have a generation. It's the generation behind my dream. And we're not scolding these folks. It's just how they are. They think the most important thing is what they update on social media. When they put a picture of themselves or say what they need to say, that's breaking news. That's how they announce to the world whatever they think they want you to know. Or whatever they're doing. And, that, and the problem with that is that makes you think that you are the center of the world. That what you are doing is most important. And other people need to know what you're up to. Because you're important. And the, what happens is that spills into churches. Church life. Number three. There's many other things to do than attend worship, read your Bible, and become a soul winner. Did y'all know that? There's a lot of things to do today. Back in an agricultural, back in times when things were slower, back when you didn't have a phone that had anything in the world you ever possibly wanted to know in your pocket, with any game you ever wanted to play, the most bizarre games you've ever played, anything is at your hand right now. Just, you're just seconds away from it. And what happened, now, this is how the devil has de really just taken the church and sidelined it. And not just churches, Christians. There's other things to do than be in God's house and in being God's word and being a soul winner and reaching your one for Christ. So what happened when Bill Dudley asked that question, what happened was, all of a sudden, churches started cutting back their number of services. All of a sudden, there's an I church or a me church mentality, and there's a million and one other things to do. And you look around thinking, what, what happened here? So what we have to do as believers, we have to be aware of what's happening in the world and what's happening in our culture. Because Bible tells us, Jesus tells us, if we're going to be if we're going to be people who win others to Jesus, if we're going to be folks that are intentional in pushing back hell, in pushing back the devil's work, we need to communicate to folks that, listen, you've believed a lie. 
You're not the most important person in the world. These other things you're doing you think are important, but according to Scripture, they're not important. When you stand before God, He doesn't care what you've done in the areas of social media. When you get away from, when you're coming to church less and less and less, you're hearing the Word of God preached and taught less and less and less, then you wonder, why am I not experiencing revival? Well, there's your answer right there. You're away from God's Word. So we're going to see here, because Jesus is going to tell us here, these scriptures we're about to read here, in Matthew chapter 21, He's going to tell us there are signs that are going to occur. And these are what it means is, He's soon going to return. Now go ahead and turn your Bibles here. Luke chapter 21. Now many of you say, Daniel, last week we left off at, um, at Luke chapter 20, verse 44. So I'm going to paraphrase these next three sections. Verse, uh, last few verses there of chapter 20, Jesus just basically says, it's important, but he says you need to be careful of the scribes. Basically, your religious leaders, if you're not careful, they're leading you astray if you believe what they're saying. That absolutely happens today. If you ever have a preacher or somebody teaching you the Bible and they're saying something opposite of the Scriptures, you have been led astray. That's what, that's what the scribes are certainly doing. The widow's gift here in the first few verses of, um, of... Actually, I forgot. The very first one is the question there in verse 41. Chapter 20, verse 41 through 44. Uh, uh, remember, Jesus got this question, the silly question earlier about the Sadducees and the re- resurrection. So then he returned the favor and says... He quoted Psalm 110, verse 1. He says, how did David, how was he able to say, the Lord declared to my Lord? And the answer is that Jesus is fully God and fully human. So he's saying David was talking actually about him. So that's how Jesus is from the lineage of David because he is fully God. So he's from that line of David, yet he's also the Lord. So that's, then we see the scribes, and then we get here the widow's gift. What happened? Jesus witnessed people and folks who gave their all with that. And what that means is, is even this poor widow, she put in her, what they call her, um, her um, a widow's mite, which is a very, it's the most, a little copper coin, the most invaluable of all coins, and Jesus said she gave the most. And she put in all she had to live in. What he's teaching about that is the giving. The biblical principle on giving is that you're to give all, not so much out of your surplus. Okay, then, starting in verse 5 is where we're about to start reading here. This here is about the destruction of the temple. Now, this is actually a tricky passage because it's going to flip-flop to two different events that's going to occur. And I'm going to, as we read it, I'm going to explain it. The first thing we see here, Jesus is talking about two... Th- events happen. Remember, the temple was the center of worship right there in Jerusalem for all of Ju- Jews in Judaism. So they believed that God lived in the Holy of Holies at the temple. That was God's home. So folks, Jewish folks, throughout the different uh, uh, religious pilgrimages, they would go there. For example, uh, one coming up is called Passover next month. They'll go there and they will worship there at the temple during Jesus' time. The Romans in 70 A.D. destroyed the temple. It was destroyed. It was, had been remodeled by Herod, the second temple. The Romans came down and wiped it out. And all that's left is what we now call the western wall left of the temple. So that's what, that's the picture that uh, one of the events happens. But also what's happening, these other signs that we're going to see here, 
is he's talking about his second coming. So Jesus is talking about first the destruction here. We're going to, when we read this, I'm going to explain it, of the Romans in 70 AD. Then he's also going to talk about the destruction and the things that are going to come when he returns again. So I want you to follow along here in your Bible. We need to know what's going to be like when Jesus comes back. Verse 5, as some were talking about the temple, how it was adorned with beautiful stones and gifts dedicated to God, he said, now look at this. So he realizes they're impressed by this great building. And he says, These things that you see, the days will come when not one stone will be left on another that, not, that will not be thrown down. So the, this temple had extremely large stones. And all of a sudden, Jesus is saying, I know you adore this temple and adorn it, but it will be destroyed. And look at the question they asked him. Teacher, they asked him, so when will these things happen? And what will be the sign when these things are about to take place? So they ask the obvious questions. They want to know, Jesus, how do I know we're living in the end times? When will the temple, when will these things that you're talking about, when will they occur? So that's when Jesus starts his message here. Now, remember, we're very close to Jesus's, we're in Passion Week, so we're just a few days away to Jesus being arrested and crucified. Then he said to them, and this is the most important of all uh, Bible verse, of this entire section here, it's in verse 8. You cannot miss this, because this is how Jesus starts everything off when he's talking about the end times. He says, then he said to them, watch out that you are not deceived. Stop. Watch out that you, Broadway Baptist Church, are not deceived. We just read this quote from this guy named Bill Dudley up here. And we're wondering, you know, we've got bigger budgets. We've got nicer buildings. There's, um, uh, the folks are better educated, the pastors. I mean, things are really looking up. Why, why are so few folks being saved? Like, what's wrong here? Why? Why aren't the baptism waters being stirred? And it's very easy to look around thinking we're doing great. God's blessing us. We've got money in the bank. The Lord's hand is upon us. But Jesus is saying here in verse 8, watch out that you aren't deceived. That means, remember he's talking to us. That means could we be deceived? Could he be telling me that I have believed a lie? And the lie is to think that you're doing okay. Hey, everything's fine. You know, we're doing what you, we're, we're to do. We're paying the light bill. We're coming to church every week. I've got my Bible. I spend seven and a half minutes and I read my verses each day. I've got my prayer sheet and I pray over my names. God, I'm doing great. That's the life you set for me. And Jesus is, could be saying to you, no, that's not. That's not enough. Remember here, Jesus is warning that one of the ways the devil deceives you is to think that everything's fine when in fact it's not. To think that you don't need to go to church. You, were, you got saved when you were a child and you, you're, you're set for life. You don't need to go, to go to church and you don't need to walk an aisle because you went to a Catholic school and you go down the list, and it's a sense of false security. Part of spiritual maturity is looking in your life and saying, am I really saved? God, am I, 
am I missing anything? Is there an area of my life that I'm blinded to? Because he's telling us, at the end times, you will be blinded. You know, one of the things in Matthew's account of this, he actually says there's going to be this great apostasy. Apostasy is a falling away. Do you know I read a report about Canadian churches? Over the next 20 years, this is, this is shocking when you hear this, they are expected to either bulldoze or sell. When I say sell, turn them into like businesses, like loft apartments, or um, condominiums, or restaurants. 7,000 Canadian churches. The buildings. They're either going to bulldoze it and build something else, or they're going to take the church building and turn it into something other than a church. A gym. I mean, you think about all the places that you can make this, this, uh, this uh, sanctuary right here. I mean, this could be Gold's Gym. This could be L.A. Fitness right here. Take out all these pews, and you could have people lifting weights, getting stronger, over here on the exercise bikes, looking out these windows at the cars going by, listening to um, top 40 music on their iPods. Listen, we laugh at this. This is going on right now. And you could sell that prime piece of real estate right here, get several million dollars, and you could put it in the bank and just have it sit there. 7,000 churches over the next 20 years are expected. That is what's going to happen in Canada. And it's easy to say, well, that's in Canada. We're in Lexington, Kentucky. Well, it could happen here. I want you all to know, when you drift away from the gospel, when you drift away from teaching the truth, your church becomes an exercise center. Your church becomes like the Presbyterian church right down the road here that's now a pizza restaurant. It can happen. If it can happen there, it can happen here. And Jesus is saying, watch out that you don't get deceived because you will get deceived. How you get deceived is your thinking and doing things that have nothing to do with folks getting saved and lives being changed. If this church, if Broadway Baptist Church, Chris, if the college ministry is not in the business of changing lives of students who come here to UK what other business do we have? If our music ministry, David Dell, isn't involved in glorifying the magnificent God that we have in reaching senior adults with the gospel, what else are we here for? That's what it means, this deception. Everything we do, why am I doing this? What's the purpose of this? And if it doesn't go back, to the gospel in Jesus, in lives changed, it has no purpose. This is an exercise center. It's Darlene's Kitchen on Wednesday nights. It's anything other than communicating the gospel. All right, so that's his warning. He's saying, and and I want y'all to think, am I being deceived? Have I missed it? Verse 9. For many will come in my name, saying, I am he, and the time is near. Don't follow them. When you hear of wars and rebellions, don't be alarmed. Indeed, it is necessary that these things take place first. But in the end, but the end will not come right away. So Jesus is saying wars are going to happen. We're not going to have peace on earth at all. 
uh, it doesn't, uh, there's, there's not going to be peace in the Middle East. Well, actually, the Antichrist will temporarily bring, bring peace, but that's, it won't be peace for sure. Verse 10, Then he told them, Nation will be raised, raised up against nation, and kingdom against kingdom. There will be violent earthquakes and famines and plagues in various places, and there will be terrifying sights and great signs from heaven. So this is a reference here to the second coming of Christ and what's about to happen for us. Jesus is telling us that earthquakes are going to become more. You will have even a great signs from heaven. But before all these things, they will lay their hands on you and will persecute you. They will hand you over to the synagogues and, and prisons. And you will be brought before the kings and governors because of my name. Look at this verse here. They will hand you over to the synagogues. Do you realize what's wrong with that? They will hand you over to the synagogue. A synagogue, that's the place of worship. That means you will actually get in trouble and get handed over a church. That means if you are a Bible-believing Christian, if you stand on the Word of God, other liberal churches out there will be mocking you. That means they will look at Broadway Baptists and say, oh, that's, that, they're corrupt. They believe this, this old book that's 2,000 years old. How dare they do this? The synagogues, the churches will fall off the, fall off the bandwagon and will be just as deceived as secularism. That's what he's saying here. He says, could you imagine, could you imagine getting kicked out of church for believing the Bible? And you might not just believe the Bible, you make a stand for the Bible. And we're not talking about your work. We're talking about a church. The church rejects the truth. That's what Jesus is saying. That's a sign of the end time. That's called the apostasy. That means you've just, even what you thought was so pure, was so holy, has actually become corrupted. Jesus says this will be one of the signs. Keep going here in your Bibles. He goes on to say, verse 12, verse 13, This will give you an opportunity to bear witness. Therefore, make up your minds not to prepare your defense ahead of time. For I will give you such words and a wisdom that none of your adversaries will be able to resist or contradict. What's powerful about that is Jesus says, you need to go ahead and mentally prepare for when you get attacked, because it's coming. One of the signs of the end times is Bible-believing people who hold to the gospel truth, they are going to be have a bullseye on them, and the people are coming after them. And, and Jesus is saying, because they're coming for you. And when that happens, you don't need to have some scripted can uh, uh, words to say. You just trust the Lord. He will give you the words to say. And that's why he's saying, let me speak through you when this occurs. And it's going to occur. Don't make it, you don't need some prepared defense. Now look at this, verse 16. You will be betrayed by parents, brothers, relatives, and friends. They will kill some of you. Your family will not be excited when you start living for the Lord. If you have parents, if you have family members who are, um, maybe they just spiritually they're lost and you start standing for the lord they'll be mad 
I think I've shared this story before. One of the best ways I've ever seen this illustrated, I had to, one of the most godly men I ever knew. He's now in heaven. His name was Duke. Duke believed the Bible. Duke was a soul winner. He actually was a bowler. He joined bowling teams, and he'd win uh, fellow bowlers to Christ. I mean, there were people in our church because Duke led them to the Lord, and I baptized. Duke's grandson was not a believer. Duke's grandson was in his, like, 25, 26 years old, and he was living with his girlfriend. And his grandson lived, like, two hours away. He was coming down to visit Grandpa because he supposedly was engaged. So he says, Grandpa, I'm going to come and um, spend the night and bring my girlfriend. We want to, you know, we're... They, they want to sleep in the same bed together in his house. Duke told him no. So you're not coming to my house and sleeping in the same bed with your girlfriend. If you do that, if you bring her, she can have this room, you can have this room, but we're not, I'm not going to allow my house to be a house to promote sin. Grandson laughed at him, and they, had, they ended up staying in a hotel together because his grandson was so lost spiritually, he said to his grandfather, says, Grandpa, I can't go to my girlfriend. She'll like probably break, she'll think, or fiance, she would laugh at me if I told her that. That's so foreign to him, that young man. Of course you live together, was his attitude. And Duke made a stand for Jesus. And he told me, he says, Daniel, I'll just will not to see my grandson. If I had to pick between making a stand for the Lord, seeing my grandson, I'll always stand. stand uh, stand for the Lord. And the sad thing is, he prayed daily for that young man. That man was lost, spiritually dead. As we talked about this morning, going to hell, his grandson. And it says right here, this is a sign. Your family will turn against other people. You will lose your grandchildren and your children when you stand for the scriptures. Keep going here in your Bibles. He goes on to say in verse 18, But not a hair of your head will be lost. By your endurance, gain your lives. So what he's saying here is you'll be saved by making a stand for me. Don't give in. When you see Jerusalem surrounded by armors, now understand this first section here we just read, this is about what's going to happen for us. Now we're shifting here, and we're going back to what happened when the Romans destroyed Jerusalem in 70 A.D. When you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, then recognize that desolation has come near. Then those in Judea must flee to the mountains, those inside the city must leave it, and those who are in the country must not enter it. Because these days of vengeance, to fulfill all things that are written, woe to the pregnant woman, women and nursing mothers in those days, for there will be great distress in the land. That, that dis word distress there, that word is also translated, some of your Bibles, as tribulation. It would be a great tribulation in the land. And wrath against this people, that's the Jewish people. They will be killed by the sword and be led captive in all the nations. And Jerusalem will be trampled on by the Gentiles. So what, what Jesus is saying here is, Jewish folks, you love your nation so much, but you don't realize that you're about to lose it in 30 years. And they do lose it in 30 years. And then it's about to shift back here in this verse. Look at verse 24. He says, In Jerusalem be trampled on by the Gentiles. Who are the Gentiles? These are non-Jews. That's us. Right now, in Israel, Jerusalem is being trampled on by the Gentiles. Most folks who live in Jerusalem are Muslim. There's a giant Muslim mosque on top of where 
the um, uh, place, the, uh, the temple is supposed to be. Most of the folks in Jerusalem, vast majority in Jerusalem, are not more born-again believers. They do not believe Jesus is the Messiah. And most of them aren't even Jewish. They're anything but that. It's the time of the Gentiles. And it says right here, it will be trampled on by the Gentiles. And look at this. Until the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. That's the times we live in right now. The times of the Gentiles meaning the times that God has chosen because the Jewish folks have rejected the gospel, rejected Jesus as the Messiah. The times of the Gentiles are when God is working through non-Jewish people. And we studied two Wednesday nights ago how God is hardened based on Romans chapter 10 and chapter 11 has hardened the Jewish people. And what we see right here is we are living in the times of the Gentiles. So God will close this chapter that we're in right now with the second coming when the times of the Gentiles are filled. Meaning all the people He won't save that come into heaven who are Gentiles, He's allowing that opportunity. We are blessed because of the times of the Gentiles because you and I wouldn't get saved if we didn't have this time. The times of the Gentiles being fulfilled means at some point God knows when everybody who's a Gentile who's going to be saved is going to get saved. And that's at that point is when the second coming is going to occur. So what are we to do? We're to be leading people to Christ during these times of the Gentiles. So that's what he's talking about. Now, he's shifting back here. So these Four or five verses right here in the middle of this passage were really, they were referring to immediately 30 years after Jesus' time when Jerusalem really, got, uh, when the whole city of Israel, the whole nation of Israel got wiped out. Verse 25. Then there will be signs in the sun, moon, and stars. And there will be an anguish on earth among nations, bewildered by the roaring of the sea and the waves. People will faint from fear and expectation of the things that are coming on the world because the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Then they will see the Son of Man, that's Jesus, coming in a cloud with power and great glory. But when these things begin to take place, stand up and lift up your heads because your redemption is near. Meaning Jesus is saying to us, guys, if you're a believer in Christ, you don't need to be scared of this. In fact, you need to stand up and lift up your hand and be proud as I'm a follower of Christ. I'm proud. My Savior is coming. I'm not going to retreat and, and go backwards. Then he tells us this parable right in the middle of the story. He tells us the parable of the fig tree. And he goes on to say, Look at the fig tree and all the, and of, of, and all the trees. As soon as they put out leaves, you can see for yourselves and recognize that summer is already near. In the same way, when you see these things happening, recognize that the kingdom of God is near. Surely I tell you, this generation will certainly not pass away until all these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. Jesus just said, these words he proclaimed 2,000 years ago were still being taught and preached and communicated today. Heaven and earth, and when it says heaven, it's not talking about heaven as our home. It's talking about the heavens, the, the atmosphere, the, the planets. All that's going to be gone. But Jesus' words, when we get to heaven, these same words will be there. The need for watchfulness. Now look at this. This is his summary he's going to see. He really ties this entire section up. This entire message he's sharing about the end times right here. He says, be on your guard. 
so that your minds are not dulled from carousing, drunkenness, and worries or life. Or that day will come to you unexpectedly. Be on your guard that your minds are dulled. Do you know what dulls your mind? What dulls your mind is sit there and watch TV all day long and watch basketball and watch football and watch whatever movie just came out. And the next day you wake up and you turn back on the TV and you watch whatever sports are on. You watch NBA that day. You watch um, golf. You, I mean, just going down the line. The next day you turn on your TV and every day, listen, Broadway Baptist, every day you're watching this stuff. You're watching what Donald Trump's doing. You're watching what Fox News is saying. You're watching whatever Kentucky sports has to go. Guys, if that's your life, your mind is dulled. That is not what Jesus Christ came to die and save you to live. Hollywood and the TV station should not be picking your agenda. That is a dull mind. Jesus Christ saved you from that mess. It's garbage. And that might be for adults sit there and just sit there and just watch this stuff day after day. The young people are just doing this. And it's hopeless. Jesus is saying here, be on your guard so your minds are not dulled. Do you have a dull mind? When's the, when is the last time God answered one of your prayers? When's the last time you saw a miracle? When's the last time you had a gospel witnessing opportunity that you told someone about Jesus? When's the last time you invited somebody to church? When's the last time you walked out of this place and said, Man, I felt the Spirit of God today. I can't wait to go soul win here in Lexington. I can't wait to go out of these doors and tell other people about my, my great Savior. I want to tell you, this entire afternoon... I don't even know what was on TV. If you sat there and watched TV for five hours, you did not prepare yourself for worship tonight. That does not prepare yourself. If you were just sitting here watching news after news after news, it just drains you. It does not matter what Washington does. Jesus just told us. Look at these words here. Look at this. Heaven and earth will pass away. Heaven and earth will pass away. Guys, there's no hope for the United States. The only hope for the United States is Jesus. That is it. It does not matter. You can waste your life just, just going after something that's just leaving you empty. Jesus is saying, watch out. Be on your guard. Your minds are not dulled from carousing. You know, carousing is watching TV. That's why that's just going around doing nothing. Partying, just I'm going to have a good time, watch some basketball, watch football, watch golf. Drunkenness, obviously the worries of life, just worrying about stuff. That doesn't even matter. You can worry yourself sick and go take some medicine and go see a doctor. And nothing gets better. Jesus Christ is looking at you tonight and saying, I'm offering more. Do not find yourself with a dull mind. It says, if you're like this, how sad would it be if I'm sitting at home watching a rated R movie, listening to God's name being profaned, listening to watching this trash uh, 
homosexuality on TV, sexual immorality on TV, and I'm watching a rated R movie, and lo and behold, Jesus came back. And there he is. The roof blew off. The whole world's looking at him, and here I am playing this trash. Because Jesus just said here in verse 34, you need to be on your guard because it's going to happen unexpectedly. He says, look at verse 35. Look at, follow along your Bible. Like a trap. It's a trap. You fell for it. The devil got you. The trap is wasting your life on things that do not matter. This coming week's the SEC tournament. Are you excited? In 2020, there'll be an SEC tournament. In 2021, there'll be an SEC tournament. You just literally, it's a money-making machine. Every year, some things do not change. It's a trap, Jesus is saying. For it will come on all who live on the face of the whole earth. Do you have a dull mind? Have you fallen for pointless things that do not matter? But be alert at all times, praying that you may have strength to escape. All these things are going to take place and to stand before the Son of Man. The things that will take place is that the, the devil will take... He'll, what he does is a born-again believer. And remember, Jesus is talking to saved folks. He's saying born-again believers, people who, who, who worship the Lord, people who are going to heaven, all of a sudden they've been sidelined spiritually. They've become dulled. They've all of a sudden... They have fallen for the scam. They've, they let their guard down and they're wasting their life. They're wasting their resources. Jesus is just, he's warning us about this. Your children, grandchildren should be war warned about it. During, that, during the day, he was teaching in the temple. But in the evening, he would go out and spend the night on what is called the Mount of Olives. Jesus slept outside. Then all the people would come early in the morning to hear him in the temple. These people would come and listen to this man speak day after day after day. They wanted to hear these words. And all he's telling them is, guys, watch out. Your minds are going to be dulled. You're going to find your life carousing, drunkenness, and the worries of life. Meaning, he's saying addiction, carousing is just... Uh, laziness, just going around doing a bunch of nothing and worries of life, you're just going to be anxious about absolutely everything. Anxiety, drunkenness, and laziness. You can spend your life doing these things. And you've been taken out of commission for the Lord's work. Do you want to do the Lord's work? Do you want God's priorities to become your priorities? What that means is, He's saying, God, I want, I want to be filled. I want to start seeing the world how you see it. And how Jesus saw it is he saw all these lost people that have just been blinded by the devil. They do not know their priorities. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will live forever. Do you live that way? The most important thing we can do is daily saying, God, I want your will. I want to be in your word. I want you to put people in my life that I can start praying for. I want to identify who's my one from this morning about who I can pray for to lead to Christ. Lord, give me more. Jesus, I pray for the folks here tonight. 
Lord, we suffer from a dull mind. Lord, save us from Kentucky Athletics. Save us from Fox News. Lord, save us from just pointless movies that Hollywood makes. It doesn't even matter what they're doing. Lord, deliver us from this cycle that we get stuck in and we fail to see you, Lord. Lord, set our feet straight so we are waking up in the morning just eager to live for you. Make your priority, Lord, my priority. Lord, give us a person that we can begin praying for over these next five Sundays that we can lead to, lead to Christ, lead to you, Lord, that they can get saved. Lord, if we don't know what to say, Lord, the Bible says you will give us the words. Lord, open up our minds. Lord, we give you this invitation. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We're going to close with invitation. This is your opportunity to respond to the gospel. If you want to make a decision tonight, as always, I'll be standing down front waiting for you to respond. So let's stand together, and I'll be waiting up front for you.